time to thrive. Welcome to the Thrivology Podcast with Dr. Lee Bauckham. Join us as we explore ways that you can thrive in your life, regardless of what life throws at you. It's your life. Time to live it. I have to tell you that normally when I'm recording this, I'm not quite dressed up as much as I am right now. Right now, I'm sitting here in a coat and tie, and that isn't generally how I do this, mainly because you're never going to see how I'm dressed. So sometimes I'm in a t-shirt, sometimes I'm in a sweatshirt, but I'm generally in an at-ease place because I really want to come across as in comfort and comforting you. But today, I'm all dressed up, and that may, for you, now that you know that, raise a question of why that is. Well... I'm headed to a funeral, which raises in my mind the whole idea about death and what's it mean. It's, it's a reminder. Every funeral is always a reminder of the inescapable future for each of us. Now, the funeral I'm going to today is one of those that makes sense in, in the kind of the scheme of life. Um, it's a friend's father, and he was suffering from a long-term illness, and this comes in some ways as an end to that. So, It comes at a point uh, when it kind of makes sense, even though the grief from it is hard on the family and, and the pain of it is still there. It fits in that place where we understand that that's just the nature of life. In my years of working as a chaplain in a hospital, I saw many, many deaths that didn't seem to make sense, though, for the families or for the individuals. And I watched as people grieve the losses that didn't make sense. They were saying goodbye to their children. They were saying goodbye to babies. They were saying goodbye to people that shouldn't have been at the age of death. And and that began, in my mind, a place of realizing that there is no such thing as the correct age of death, that, that there's always an inevitability and an unpredictability to this life that we live in. And part of having a thriving life is embracing that peace, of recognizing that that's true. Years ago, when I was leading a particular workshop that I did, I would always do what I call the obit exercise. And you may be familiar with this exercise. I'm not the only one who does this, but I watched what would happen because I would have people write down their obituary. They had to pick the time they died. uh, They had to pick the age they were. They had to pick how they died. And then they had to write up this whole obituary of about their life. And what was interesting was we often got stuck because my point wasn't how they were going to die. My point was that they were going to die. And my point was that they had opportunities of thinking about what they wanted to leave behind as a legacy, how they wanted to be remembered. And it's a good time to be thinking about that while you're still alive and can still impact that rather than wondering what happens after that. And so I would have them do this obituary. And what I watched was the uh, superstitions that would come up from it. People would would write down dates that were impossible for them to uh, live into. They were writing dates that were 150, 200 years down the road and giving these huge, impossible ways of dying. There was almost a superstition that if they wrote it down, they would have created the reality of that. And so they resisted. So I finally had to decide not to have them write down their obituary. I realized that the timing of their death and the method of their death was getting me stuck and getting them stuck away from what I really wanted them to do. So I changed it. And I had to had them sit and, and, and talk about this and think about this. And I would say, okay, you're gone. You've died. You're gone. Two central questions to think about. What do you want to be remembered for? 
What are the things in your life you want to be remembered for? And, and there were lots of, of arguments about what was most important, whether it was having achieved a great deal on a political front or on an economic front or building a business uh, or the great hobbies they had or the great families that they had created or any number of other things, the travels that they had had. They all had lots of discussions about what they wanted to be remembered for. And then I asked, what legacy do you want to leave behind? And when they talked about legacy, things began to change. Legacies were often about having been an honest, upright, great standing person, someone with great honor, someone with great loyalty, someone who had loved and been loved. And these themes began to emerge about really of having lived a good life, having lived a thriving life. My reason for the exercise was to have them begin to think about how to move towards that, how to move in a new way, a more, much more intentional way into their life, into their future. Uh, as far as I know, nobody died immediately after these workshops, so they all had a chance to work towards these legacies if they chose to. And it reminded me that the Stoics, the ancient Stoics, used to have this as an exercise. They would always, on a daily basis, contemplate their death. Now, this was not meant to be a morbid exercise. In fact, it was meant to help them live what they would refer to as the good life. And so they would do the Melite Thanatao. And the Melite Thanatao was the meditation on death. And they would meditate on how they would die. And they would meditate on the fact that they were going to die. And they would meditate on what could happen along the way. Now, remember that we are living in a very different culture than the Stoics were living in that first century because we live in a world that pretends that death won't happen. We have so many medical interventions and we have so many uh, ways of pushing death aside that we pretend like we're going to beat it. And even when somebody is dying, they're generally not around other people. It's not a public moment. And so we can live in a day that is less uh, aware of death, but not so much in the first century when people would die from a simple cut and infection or a simple illness that we now can give an antibiotic for. And so death was much more a day-to-day activity, even in gathering your food. You didn't just go down to the store to buy something. You had to kill what you were going to eat. So why contemplate death? Well, I think there are several different reasons that it's a good exercise. Now, you don't have to be thinking about how you're going to die. You don't even have to think about when you're going to die because those really are just question marks. But the fact that you are going to die, I think, is a useful point of reflection for a thriving life because it creates a reality check. So many times I watch people who act as if there is no expiration date on their life. And so they just kind of stumble through life doing whatever they want, having a good time and avoiding anything of substance, not recognizing that there is an end date to this, that there really is an end time to this and that they only have so much time. And and here's the thing, that clock started ticking when we were born, but we don't know when it hits midnight. We don't know when the alarm goes off. And so... All we can do is be living fully in the time that we fully have. And so this contemplation of death can be a good reality check to just be aware, I'm going to die. And what does that mean for my life? How does that mean I'm going to change how I do things? So it's a reality check to the fact that it's going to happen, that we all are going to die. The second thing that it brings in is the importance of the now. 
What's already happened has already happened. We don't know what's in front of us because we don't know how far that goes out, but we know we have this moment. And this moment is, is a precious moment. What's already happened, we can't change what's happened. We can't affect what's happened. We move beyond that, but we don't know how far into the future we can move that. So it is about this moment. Reflecting on death is always about the importance of right now and the importance of what you're doing in your life right now and the importance of the relationships you're building right now and the importance of how you live out your character right now. It also is a good place of realizing that there's a daily opportunity to shift, a daily opportunity to shift. If you're not headed in the direction you want to be, if you're saying, you know, there are things I want to get done before this life is over, it's a good reminder of that. When I sit down and I contemplate the fact that I am mortal and I contemplate the fact that I'm going to die, I think of the things I want to get done before I die. I think about the projects I want to complete, about the lives I want to touch, about my family and the connections in that family, and it gives me a daily shift towards something bigger than myself. And I really think that that's one of the major shifts because we can live within ourselves in a very small space unless we recognize that there is that time zone. There is an end time to this. And when we make that daily opportunity to shift to something higher, it doesn't mean we're doing a U-turn in life. It doesn't mean we have to scrap everything. Sometimes we do. Sometimes we go, wow, I'm not headed in any direction I want to. And that's a good reality check. But sometimes we just need to make sure we're shifting towards where we really want to get to. It's a daily opportunity for action. What do I need to do today? Not what do I need to do next year? What do I hope for in 10 years? But what do I need to do today? Now, this doesn't mean you don't do the planning for down the road. I've had some people who said, okay, so if I'm going to die and I don't know when I'm going to die, you're saying that I probably just don't even need to worry about planning for my retirement. Well, the point of dying is you don't know if it's today. You don't know if it's next year. You don't know if it's in 10 years. You don't know if it's in 20 years and 50 years and 60 years and 80 years. You don't know. So you can plan for the future and make good decisions while at the same time looking for your daily opportunity for action about what creates a new legacy, a bigger legacy for you. And that really is what this is about. It's not about the fact that there is a morbidity to dying. There, it's, it's more about the fact that that's an inescapable of life. If you're living, you're also in the process of moving towards death. Epictetus said to rehearse, I know that I, I knew that I was mortal. And to rehearse that on a daily basis, to remind yourself, I knew that I was mortal. And sometime at, at the end, you may say, wow, see, I knew I was mortal. But until then, it's a reminder. I knew I was mortal. I knew I was mortal on a daily basis, reminding yourself of that mortality. Death is an inevitable factor of life. But there is a difference between saying death is inevitable and saying death is now. I'm dying right now. It's completely possible that somebody is listening to this podcast and are actively in the process of dying. But for the most of us, we're listening to this and saying, okay, I've got some amount of time in front of me. I don't know how long that is. 
I will tell you, I live in a family that has uh, beaten the odds a number of times. Both of my grandparents lived well beyond when they were expected to die. And I remember the change that happened to both of them. Both of them had been given a, a, a terminal diagnosis with cancer when I was young, and we expected them to not make it very long. They are uh, graduates of the hospice program, and uh, both of them, and became hospice volunteers. And what I recognized in them is suddenly there was an awareness for them that, that things were ticking, that there was a time frame, and they shifted their perspective and their approach to the world. They became much more loving and giving people than they had been, and they began, became much more about relationships, and they became much more focused about loving their life than they had been before. Yeah, they beat the odds, but they didn't beat the odds indefinitely. At some point later, both of them died, but they beat the odds in the original diagnosis. And that's the thing. You know, we, even if we are given a diagnosis, a certain amount of time to live, that doesn't guarantee that's going to be the case. It may be shorter. It may be longer. The fact is, though, that death is an inevitable fact. You don't have to accept that as I'm dying now to see I'm dying at some point. My death is down the road at some point. The other thing to recognize in that understanding you're mortal is that it's usually not up to us to choose when we're going to die. Other factors determine that. Maybe an accident, uh, maybe an illness, uh, maybe just the aging of our body that breaks down, but usually it's not up to us. It's out of our control. The interesting thing is so many people get fearful about how they're going to die, and yet there are so many ways that could happen that at some point you have to say, I don't have any control over that. And I believe that if there's something you don't have control over, you need to work to not be caught up in worrying about what you don't have control over. You focus on what you can control, and you leave alone what you can't control. The serenity prayer is a great prayer of reminding us to be focused on changing the things we can change and accepting the things we cannot change and having that wisdom to know the difference. And this is one of those wisdom points of recognizing that we don't get much choice about how things are going to wind up for us, how we're going to die. And we also need to remind ourselves, as we say, I knew that I was mortal, that it's a natural process. It happens with everyone. It's a natural process. And if we look around the world, we know it. We all have lost pets or new people who lost pets and lost loved ones or new people who lost loved ones to know that this is just a natural process. And we live in a world that acts as if there's an aberration to death. I remember how many times I was faced with doctors having lost a patient and the doctor seemed so surprised that the patient had died. And it struck me that at some point in their medical training, they learned to deny the fact that their patients were going to die in, in spite of the fact that that's just a, an, a physical inevitability, a biological fact. They just don't want to live within it. So when we forget about our mortality, we begin to treat our life just as whatever we want it to be and, and marching on and having all the time in the world. We often forget that mortality. And we live as if we have all the time in the world, and we live as if life is unfair when there is a death, and yet we don't have all the time in the world. We have all the time in our own life, and our end of our life is a natural part of living. It's, it's the consequence of living, and the question is not so much whether we're going to die, but how we're going to live between here and there. 
So what do you do? Well, I would suggest you remind yourself that death is inevitable and make that a daily exercise just to recognize death is an inevitable. I'm up. I'm here now. Then decide what you can control. And I would suggest that you decide these three things that you can control, how you live, how you love, and how you act, how you live in the world, how you bring greater things into the world, how you decide to be an example for yourself, for those around you, how you bring up your character to a higher place, how you love. Relationships are so much more valuable than the stuff that we seem to accumulate. Very few people at the end of their lives wonder why they couldn't put a few more hours in at work or wonder why they couldn't uh, have, have created a little more wealth in the world. But they are aware of the relationships that are hurt, the way they've loved others. They are aware of how they've made others feel, and they are aware of the love that surrounds them. So how you live, how you live into the greatest life you can, how you love so that you don't have regrets that you have created the relationships, that you've cleaned up the relationships, and then how you act. What do you bring into the world? How do you treat others? How do you treat your own life? How do you create a better world for those around you? That's the places that we can control, and we can decide that. And it becomes particularly important to decide that when we realize that the life is a gift. Whatever life we do have is a gift for us to spend, and we've got to decide how we're going to best spend it. So then the third thing you can do is decide to live the life that you have right now. Now, many of us have limitations of some sort, but how do you live your life right now? And part of that is how you live your life right now so that you live as long as possible and can do as much as possible. So sometimes when people uh, have heard me say, well, death is inevitable, they say, well, what's the point of exercising, of eating well, of taking care of myself? And my response is, that's how you make this life as long as possible and as fulfilling as possible and as rich as possible and with as much potential there because you bring the healthiest self you can be given the things that are within your control into your life and therefore into the way that you can impact the world. Several years back, Stephen Levine wrote a book that he and his wife had decided to try a little experiment. And in that experiment, he decided to act as if he was going to die in a year. They picked the date of his death. And so the book is titled One Year to Live. And he talks about his experience of having gone through that year and his wife going through that year and every day acting as if they had one day less together because there was that moment of death. Now, One of the things about that is he chose that date, and we don't, many of us, have that opportunity of actually choosing that point, and so that does create a a growing uh, anticipation or anxiety as that date approached, and what they said is they lived it out so real that when that date was over, because he didn't die, he was just seeing what would happen, kind of a thought experiment, they had a hard time reconnecting because they had said goodbyes so much during that year. But he ends the book with an interesting thought, an interesting moment. What he said is, if this was true for you, if you were going to die, who do you need to talk to? What relationships do you need to repair? What things do you need to do that are left undone? What are the incomplete places of your life? And then he ends with this very important question. What keeps you from doing it right now? What are you waiting for? We don't know when we're dying. 
we all know that we're going to die. But when we pretend that's not the case, we lose our opportunities of bringing ourselves, our best selves into the world because we act as if there's plenty of time to do that. There's not plenty of time. There's time. Whatever time you have, bring your best self into the world. As I head off to the funeral, I wish you the best for a thriving life. listening to the Thrivology podcast. Thank you for listening. If you want more information, visit us at thrivology.com or at thrivologymagazine.com. Remember that Thrivology is spelled T H R I V E O L O G Y. It's your life. Time to live it.